Hello and welcome to the Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, the best and worst of 2020. If I seem a little distracted this morning, it's because I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this headline I saw. Senior Trump aides to launch think tank. <laughs> I think that's what they call an oxymoron, isn't it? Or why have they waited this long? There's so many questions. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Morning, James. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Same to you. Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Happy holidays. Thank you. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and happy new year. How about that? All right. The trifecta. Aaron Murphy, Lee <laughs> Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James and Bah Humbug. <laughs> <laughs> There's one in every crowd, isn't there? <laughs> Says the guy who's calling himself Christopher Kringle. Yeah. <laughs> And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning from my one-man think tank. <laughs> <laughs> All the best ideas. I've, yeah. I've just formed it. This instant. It seemed like a good idea. And you're taking donations to support, <laughs> yeah. to support your work. <laughs> uh, just mostly just booze. Oh, hey, that works. <laughs> or as I call it, think tank juice. <laughs> well, all things being relative, yes, there have been some bests in 2020, along with cascades of worse. In politics, if your candidate won, I guess that's a best. If your candidate lost, that's a worst. And if you ran in Iowa's second district, you're in limbo somewhere between those two polls, which is probably worst. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so today we're going to go beyond and talk about what we've seen as the best and worst of the year in politics and why. And I'll start this off with what might be an unpopular and overlooked best amid the overwhelming long list of worst. And that's Donald J. Trump's accomplishments in the Middle East. Uh, foreign policy hasn't received much attention this year because of COVID. But the efforts of the Trump administration, sometimes seemingly in spite of itself, in spite of the president, has led to four um, Muslim-majority nations uh, pledging warmer relations with Israel under accords brokered by the Trump administration. Um, unfortunately, Trump's foreign relations accomplishments don't uh, offset the long list of worst on the domestic front. Um, the pre COVID-19 economy aside, and I think it's always debatable how much credit a president should get for the state of the economy, uh, Trump has been worse than I ever expected. And I guess I, I have to say that I was a never-Trumper, but when he was elected, I was willing to give him a chance. There have been good presidents, there have been bad presidents, and a lot of presidents in between, and I thought, how bad could he be? If he drains the swamp even a little, that would be a good thing. If he busted a few norms along the way, that would be a good thing. Uh, however, uh, Trump's narcissism seems to be being overcome by paranoia in these final weeks of his administration. Uh, and, and news reports over the past week that he talked to advisors about involving the military in a rerun of the election and his more <laughs> recent comments uh, suggesting that he's turning against Vice President Mike because he's not supportive enough. 
seem to be a fitting end to this administration. It just makes me wonder if he can last for, what, another month? Or will he flame out and uh, have to be fitted with a straitjacket in that secret White House basement where Jack Kennedy just celebrated his 103rd birthday earlier this year? <laughs> Obviously. So who can top that? Brett, you want to give us your best and worst? Um, sure. I'm, I'm going to kind of, I guess... I'm going to start with worst, I guess, and then head toward best. And my, my worst list is longer than my best, but um, I kind of, of wanted to go off what you just said, busting a few norms, um, which would be uh, President Trump. And um, I guess some, a worst for me is just the coarseness of our political discussions or, you know, the discourses that we had, the, how the campaign went and, you know, and yet that, Pretty much is pinned on President Trump. Um, you know, just how, how campaign issues were discussed, if and you know, just uh, you know, there was just so much attacks, so many, so many personal attacks, so many attacks on. I um, mean, you know, this is not outside the this is outside the campaign, I guess, but you know, attacks on you know, longstanding departments and agencies and, and you know, intelligence agencies and you know, and all that, and and then of course, then that moved over into the campaign with the. Uh, you know, his description of, you know, the veracity of mail ballots be, being up in the air and, you know, how those are all questionable and it was a process and, and that completely contradicted what the message that was coming out of, you know, people I covered here from Woodbury County Auditor and, you know, the state, state secretary of state, Paul Pate on, you know, you know, we're taking all these measures and it's, it's a good process, you know, so there was just a big disconnect of, what the president was saying versus, you know, what was happening here on the ground with the, you know, and, and then it was all born of necessity, you know, there's a, it's a pandemic, you know, the worst pandemic we've had since 1918. So, so there was a reason for all the mail-in voting, but of course the president undermined that. And again, in getting what you said, what you said of busting a few norms, you know, what's, what's worse is how people will view elections going forward. You know, that just the outcome of this, with, with all the challenges that the president has made for days after days after days since, you know, actually November 5th ended, you know, just, just the cynicism of, of, you know, if I don't like a result, then, you know, let's find all these ways to, to call it into question. So, so all that, I guess is wrapped up. It would be one, one worst. Um, another worst was There's more. Yeah. <laughs> Did that seem like one or was that seem like more than one? <laughs> that was a big one. <laughs> okay. It's big. Um, Keep going. <laughs> and as a lot of us as reporters, um, I know especially Amy and you know well, all of us have written on on masks and the culture war over masks is, is has was real, really very concerning and and I could you know we could kind of see that coming in May at least maybe I was dialing into it or maybe I woke up to it coming in May and at that point I interviewed. Um, the Siouxland District Health um, Director, who was our public agency, and you know that was doing all the coronavirus testing and you know releasing of information and such. And at that point in May, he lamented that in the interview with me and and turned that into a story. And then shortly after that, we had the primary election um, to whittle down all the candidates that we do in June. And um, one of the out, one of the one of the I was working that day. Uh, came in to work the shift and and do the call that we always do to the county auditor, like how you know how are things going, you know, basically finding out if there's any glitches or any problems that we you know we should be reporting upon. 
this is the middle of, of the primary day and and I was just stunned to have the Woodbury County Auditor tell me that there had been an incident at one of the Sioux City voting precincts where a man was in line to vote. He refused to wear a mask and then three people around him promptly left the line because they didn't want to be, you know, potentially exposed to him. So there was, there's three people. And I don't, you know, of course, I don't know if they returned at some point once he was gone, but potentially three people did not vote because of the action of someone. And again, so if there's, you know, you know, that culture war, the mask war was just very lamentable to use that word again. So um, for some best, um, uh, with Joe Biden becoming president, Tom Vilsack um, is going to be Secretary of Ag, and um, he has experience in that position from the Obama administration. And I think a lot of times Iowa gets forgotten after the caucuses. So um, here's here's another way for you know a, an accomplished Iowan to have um, a national position that's important. And obviously in Iowa, the Ag position is very very important. Um, and for another best voter turnout, um, in spite of everything, um, of all the perhaps tamping down on voting that, that President Trump was attempting to do, voter turnout in Iowa um, was very high. And it's a kind of a funny coincidence, but the Woodbury County voter turnout, uh, 76 com uh, completely matched the voter turnout statewide for the entire state of Iowa. So, um, and of course, a big, big, um, story with that was at least for Woodbury County and all the counties that I cover, there were there were no there was no voter fraud. There were no, you know, really bad glitches with anything for pulling off the election in the counties up here. So in actuality, when it all comes down to it, you know, the people on the ground, the, the people that turned out to vote, and then, you know, all these not really highly paid election workers, you know, um, pulled off a really good election. Yeah, that was uh, good news because there was, certainly was a lot of concern about it. And, and I, I think maybe other people will mention this too, but I, just your your worst uh, when you're referring to sort of the political discourse, certainly, um, you know, you think about 2016 and some of the things that Trump said in that campaign, um, you know, that really uh, kind of went beyond the boundaries of what we consider normal political uh discourse and i mean he just completely topped that uh, during right. the next four right. years and and, uh, and it became not just him but his supporters who uh just uh, adopted that same tone and that same sort of language to refer to uh their opponents and um yeah i, I don't know if we can if we can return to uh, quote unquote normal political discourse or if we're just we're on this course now and, and there's no turning back. Right. Yeah. All right. Best and worst, worst and best. Who's next? I'll, I'll, I'll this is uh, Chris Kringle. I'll, I'll go next. Um, <laughs> and, and I'll say when, when you do these round table around the horn type things, uh, one of the things you always worry about is not going first and, I bring that up because I'm looking at my notes here and for my worst list, I have written the undermining of faith in science and elections. So thank you, Brett. Uh, <laughs> but I, I didn't mention anything. Do you want to do a Steve King analysis on my behalf? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I did have preparing for that exact scenario. I did have a backup, um, and it and it, it sort of relates to that. It's sort of a tangent on that, and um, I wanted to point uh, a, a, an idea for a, a worst would be the continued and ongoing lack of um, fell, uh, all of of all politicians, but obviously fellow Republicans and conservatives um, who showed a willingness to. Um, and this is generally there were some, but the lack of conservatives and Republicans who showed a willingness to to stand up to and speak out against uh, President Trump when he was trying to tear down some of these norms that we're talking about, especially here with the elections. Um, and and the problem that we see with that is when only one side is criticizing um, an elected leader, that enables the public to. You know, their brain just kind of computes that, understandably, because they see so much of it, as, oh, that's just another political disagreement. Democrats think one thing and Republicans think the other. And and that's okay when we're talking about, you know, the bottle bill or, um, you know, some other kind of <clears throat> run-of-the-mill legislation, um, you know, or, or, the, or the state budget or whatever it may be. Because in those cases, oftentimes it's true. Um, but when we're talking about the, um, you know, the literal foundation of our democracy and uh, the, 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 the most core uh, function <clears throat> of that democracy, you know, being very much under attack and called into question and to see in, in large part only one side of the political aisle speaking out against that um th that's 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 not good <laughs> to put it mildly mm -hmm. um and and so that 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 continued to be a, 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 a certainly a source of frustration uh for me um as as this has all unfolded over these past oh what's it been three years since the election however long it's been um <laughs> Uh, it's it's disappointing to see um, not just a lack of of Republicans standing up against that, but in uh, but in many cases, many Republicans enabling it and furthering um, uh, the president's cause. So so that's that's certainly uh, disappointing for anyone who um, actually uh, doesn't just <clears throat> chest thump and flag wave, but actually honestly loves this country and everything it stands for. So that's that's um. That's disappointing to see. Uh, for a best, it's not technically politics, but uh, politics seeps its fingers into everything, and I love it so much I'm going to use it anyways. Um, it's got to be the vaccines, man. <clears throat> Just an incredible story, um, not only because it's the, the saving grace and the light at the end of this tunnel of this miserable cluster mess of a year. Um, yes. But uh, but because of how um, incredible it is that we got here this fast and, and the, the, yes. the scientists and the companies and everybody who had a hand in working that, including Trump administration officials. And I, I don't cover the White House extensively enough to know to what degree they helped this cause. And, and, and if they did, they deserve all the credit in the world to um, anybody who had a hand in this, getting us to where we are already, where, where people are already being vaccinated just nine months into um, this pandemic. Uh, that, that's an incredible thing. It's an unprecedented thing and, it, and it's a wonderful thing. 
Um, I, I, I wrote for anybody who didn't see my column last week. And I know that's probably very few people. I know everybody reads that column every week. But it was a good column, Aaron. <laughs> for those rare people out there who don't see my column every week. Um, I wrote about this last week, and but but I'll share this um, for folks who didn't see that. Um, that that first morning, a week ago Monday, when the first doses were here and they were being administered, and, and the very first ones were being administered at U of I hospitals, and and uh, Vanessa Miller from the Gazette was there and documenting, and and I was retweeting her first tweet and added my own little caption. And as I wrote that, I literally started like tearing up, tears in my eyes, which I. I just kind of blindsided me. Um, I, obviously, not a very common experience. Um, but as I gave it more thought, it, it made total sense. It, it was it was an emotional moment. It was a huge moment. Um, it's such a great thing. So um, that that's my best story of the year. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people can understand that. Um, and, and I guess it surprised me when they started showing you know pictures and video. Uh, of doctors and healthcare workers being uh, vaccinated, that sort of reaction from people. I just, I guess I didn't anticipate it. And yet, I mean, I was hearing that from uh, people all over, just how emotional they got seeing those pictures, seeing those images. Um, and, and I guess it, it makes sense. Um, certainly after, as you said, Aaron, this train wreck of the year uh, to finally see something that uh, was hopeful uh, something that was, you know, is a reason for optimism, uh, certainly, uh, probably uh, is is a best, if not the best uh, news of the year. Watching us truly round the corner. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's true. Amy, what have you got for us? Okay, so I'll start with the worst, of course. You guys always end on a silver lining. Oh. Um, and my worst have to do with elected officials just not being good stewards of of the truth for their constituents. So I'm going to start um, with, with a, a city council person in Waverly who advocated for uh, the Great Barrington Declaration. Have you guys heard about this declaration? Mm -hmm. No, tell me more. The yes. Great Barrington Declaration um, was, uh, it's a proposal that was drafted sort of early in the pandemic by a, a libertarian think tank. Um, it's signed by people um, from, you know, Oxford, from Harvard, um, and, but basically advocating for no restrictions, no lockdown restrictions during COVID um, uh, and a return to normalcy for those who wish to do so to, to minimize societal harm. So basically they're saying, hey, let's get to herd immunity and then we won't have to worry about this. And the quickest way to get to herd immunity is let everybody do what they wanna do. So this was actually brought up at a Waverly City Council meeting a couple of times. And so I ended up writing about it. And, and you know, he's, he's the one guy that believes in it, you know, they didn't vote on it and, and nothing was done of it. But just to see that that sort of a representative of the city was was advocating for something that would lead to a lot higher deaths, a, a lot worse outcomes for people is disappointing. So so I think that's part of our role is to to shine a light on people, you know, that are that are advocating for things like this. You make the decision, you know, and, and you're making decisions for the city and people should know. 
And at, on the same lines, um, my other one, and this actually I saw was brought up again because she recently got a, a vaccine. When Joni Ernst came to Waterloo in early September on a uh, election swing, she, I, and I was the only one there covering this, um, she was uh, t- talking to the crowd and the crowd was asking her a lot of questions. And one of the questions um, was basically a theory. And this person believed that COVID-19 cases and deaths were being overcounted. And of course, this theory had been going around in, in some circles and, and it had been discounted <clears throat> by medical professionals who actually was saying, you know, the actual numbers are probably much higher than official tallies. Um, and Ernst kind of came out and saying she was skeptical of these numbers um, and and pointed to the fact that uh, healthcare providers, she believed, were being reimbursed at a higher rate if COVID was tied to it. So what do you think they're doing, she said. So, so when she ended up getting that shot uh, yesterday, that I saw that story was making the rounds again. Probably for good reason. I mean, you're yeah. definitely reaping the benefits of um, the vaccine that has come out based um, from people that have thought this is a very real disease that we need to very much pump money into and get a vaccine out immediately. And giving it to people that thought, eh, maybe it's not a big deal. You know, maybe we should just let people live their lives. So those are the worst that I have for you. And now the best that also came out of this year. Um, the fact that we still had um, the almost identical voter turnouts in Blackout County and in the state and everything because of a record number of absentee ballots really showed, I think, the the people at the highest levels in the state and, and counties working together and getting things done. I mean, you have a Republican in, in Iowa Secretary of State, Paul Pate. Um, and in Blackhawk County, at least you had, you know, Democrats like, uh, Grant Schultz or Grant Veter, who was, um, you know, working closely with him, making sure that uh, he could get a drop box. Um, and, and Pate was basically very transparent, um, put out a lot of information about how to vote, encourage people to vote absentee, you know, so really, I think broke with other Republicans nationally that were saying, you know, trying to tamp down on things like this and saying, no, this is how Iowa votes. It's a very good way to vote. It's safe. It's effective. It's going to work. There's no fraud. And just kept hammering that, which was really important, I think, in a year like this, when you were seeing a lot of national Republicans doing the opposite. And my second good news story is um, I I heard from a guy on, on Facebook Messenger who said, hey, I did this ride along with a cop. He's white. I'm black. I thought it'd be a cool story. And so I, I got the story from both of them. Um, it, it, and this happened in Waverly in June. So right as all the Black Lives Matter protests are ramping up, right as you're hearing from police that are, um, you know, worried that they're, they're being targets or worried that, you know, they're being misunderstood. And you're hearing from Black Lives Matter activists that are saying, we're tired of not being heard and we're tired of um, this happening over and over again and nothing being done. And, you, and I did a story on these two coming together and basically doing a ride along and um, really being honest with each other and, and the ways in which they were honest with each other was, was just really illuminating. And I thought it was really a good little microcosm of, you know, what could potentially happen when people actually are talking to people in situations like this. So those are my good news, bad news for 2020. Good news, bad news. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, the Un, unsung or undersung unsung heroes uh, of this year might be election workers, the uh, people who 
you know, at the state level and local level ran elections because of all the barriers they faced and all the challenges they faced and all the blowback they faced from uh, unwarranted blowback they received from um, Trump nation. Uh, and, yeah, they, in many ways, just like the health workers in the, the fight against coronavirus, um, they're, they're sort of the frontline heroes. Uh, and I don't know that they get much credit for it um, yeah. or as much credit as they, they deserve. But uh, yeah, in spite of everything they faced, they, they did a great job. And the fact that voters turned out in spite of everything they faced, um, yeah, is certainly a, a good news story for the year. Definitely. And James, James, this is Brett. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to bounce into that really quick. Um, sure. And a lot of them, at least in Woodbury County, were first time election workers. I was able to turn out a profile or a feature that week, where I caught up to people, um, the poll workers, and then a couple of days later, um, interviewed them what it was like. But because of coronavirus, it, and you know, so many election workers are typically retired type people. You know, people in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s. Mm-hmm. I, I came into one of the election workers I talked to her, um, I think it was her aunt had not worked an election for the first time in like 40 years because she aged out. She was 91. So then this younger, you know, like 60 year old person stepped into the, but, but anyway, because of coronavirus, because of fears of the virus, a lot of people that workers that normally would be election workers in Woodbury County did not. So there was a whole new crew and Pat Gill, our County auditor said, in spite of that, you know, they all cohered together and really came together as a team. And again, like, like I said earlier, you know, no, no major glitches and pulled it off. So I think kudos to them in, in that respect as well. For sure. Yeah. And in, in, in large part, their efforts were, um, I mean, sort of drowned out by the, the Trump trumpet uh, of, you know, election fraud and, and all these allegations that have no base um, in fact. Um, but uh, the election workers uh, got the job done. Mm-hmm. So I I might jump in here and uh, sure. and be the, the Debbie Downer since we're talking about elections. <laughs> um, for 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 my worst, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say uh, the recount process in Iowa's second congressional district. <laughs> um, it was. Gee, Tom, why ever would you conclude that? As well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, it it, it was, uh, confusing, um, you know, at times seemed pretty unorganized, you know, was marred by errors and discrepancies and, and inconsistencies. Um, and, um, I don't know, it just, uh, I guess to, to borrow a word that was used by Rita Hart in her petition that she filed uh, with the, the House Committee on Administration yesterday, um, it just, it, it really seemed haphazard. Um, and, and now, because of that, you've seen it turn into this um, really contentious issue um, where you've got the prospect now of um, House Democrats uh, intervening um, and and potentially uh, you know overturning um, you know the, the results in this incredibly close race where you know Republican Marionette Miller Meeks was certified the winner by just six votes out of more than four hundred thousand um, cast and and just the the, the prospect that um, you know you would have this partisan process and and and, and intervention to um, 
you know, determine uh, who won this seat. Um, I think it's 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 become incredibly uh, unfortunate. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's that, that's my worst um, uh, for. Well, I guess I'll just continue on the worst theme. Um, <laughs> You're on a roll. Why not? Um, uh, th th my other, my other uh, worst um, has to be um, the um, the the kind of epic fiasco for Democrats with the Iowa caucuses. Um, I actually, um, well, no, I take it back. I guess I was I was back in Iowa at uh, at that point, um, but um, was not involved in, in, in covering the caucuses, just watching it um, as an observer. Um, it just seems absolutely crazy. And I was getting constant text messages from um, from friends and colleagues in, in South Carolina who I worked with um, that work in politics there, um, you know, asking me, is this it? Is this the nail in the coffin finally for the Iowa caucuses? Um, what's going on there? And, and you know, can can Iowa and can Democrats rebound from this and 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 salvage something? You know, will Iowa continue to be uh, as important a player as it has been um, in the uh, presidential nominating and, and and winnowing cycle? And and you know, are, are candidates you know going to hold Iowa and view the state in the same kind of um, you know prestige that uh, that that it's been in? Um, so I, I also think that's that was incredibly unfortunate. Um, for 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 best, I guess I would um, build off of um, the discussion about um, the, the 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 discussions and the reckoning uh, that's taken place at Iowa and across the nation related to, um, to 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 race and racial justice and racial disparities and uh, and inequities um, uh, here in Davenport. Um, the, um, the uh, city council and, and civil rights um, uh, commission, um, you know, held a series of of, of meetings and, and, and discussions um, with members of the community um, about um, ways to uh, possibly reform the police department um, and uh, look at um, how police. Um, interact with the community and, and with with um, with with minorities and 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 um, you know how do we rethink things like um, the the use and the presence of a school resource officer um, and and um, the issues and implications that that, that has in, in leading to um, racial inequities and, and racial disparities in, in school when it comes to discipline and, and, and suspension and, and the way that um, they interact with with certain groups um, so I, I I put that out there as, as my best um, you know we might not see the, the concrete steps and um, you know the the, the the progress maybe that um, uh, a lot of people um, would would like to have seen um, but uh, I, I think that it's important that at least we are finally um, having some of these tough discussions and, and conversations. And I think it's important that, you know, while they might be incremental steps, um, you know, at least we are seeing um, 
some reforms and, and, and some things um, being put forward um, to, to finally, hopefully, maybe um, pave the way uh, for, um, for, for, for bigger reforms and, and, and bigger action and, and, and maybe, um, you know, a little bit more thoughtful uh, soul searching and, and, and reflection. Um, so um, that's my best and worst for 2020. All right. Kind of, we hadn't mentioned that, that yet. So thanks for bringing that up, Tom. Todd, uh, you've been listening to us. Um, steal any good ideas, or are you? you uh... <laughs> I, I, I will be brief. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I agree with Tom on the best. I, I recall that, you know following the legislature that night at the height of the Black Lives Matter protest, you know, swiftly passing a package of police reforms unanimously. And I think that was a that was a, a, a high moment in Iowa politics, I think, for the year. And I actually there it was a, there were about twenty four hours where I wasn't just completely disgusted with the legislature, which was which was really really refreshing. Uh, for my worst, I guess, and, and I agree with a lot of the other worsts, uh, bad job on those, uh, or I guess good job. Uh, but uh, I think just this trend that we've seen that's, you know, continuing this year of, of candidates and office holders sort of disengaging from the processes that we used to use to sort of you know, find out what they were going to do if they got elected. I mean, famously, they, you know, Republicans wouldn't meet with our editorial board, and I, and I think other editorial boards have been in the same boat. Uh, we got a lot of candidates now skipping forums and Q&A sessions and not doing interviews. And, I mean, it's been more of a Republican phenomenon, frankly, which is bad news in Iowa considering they run the show. So it's become increasingly more difficult to figure out why it is they're running for election. Their campaigns are sort of about nothing or about smearing their their rivals, uh, which has led to a lot of you know surprises over the years. And I think we'll probably get more in January. But uh, you know, it's, it's just there's this trend toward just no longer you know being accountable in a lot of ways. Uh, we've got you know this this advisory board deciding who's going to get vaccines in Iowa that's meeting in secret. We've got, mm -hmm. you know, during the course of this year, how many times, you know, did the Reynolds administration throw up barriers to getting COVID information or sit on, you know, mm -hmm. public information requests. And, uh, and there just doesn't seem to be much punishment or accountability for any of that behavior. And uh, the legislature is not holding the, the governor accountable and the governor is not holding the legislature accountable. And, and so we're just seeing more and more of this idea that, you know, we don't have to answer questions about what we're doing and you don't have to see the rationale behind what we're doing. And I think it's leading to some pretty lousy public policy decisions and, 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 and Iowans are just sort of left out of the process. In many cases, the only people that are in the process are, you know, one party's political allies and their donors. So yeah, that's a, that's a bad one for me. That's been going on before this year, but it just seems this year was very much a you know this this pace this trend accelerated. 
Hey, uh, to add on to that, Todd, um, you talk about it and, and it seems that not only is it happening, but it seems like nobody's holding accountable. Uh, other politicians aren't holding anyone accountable. Lawmakers aren't. Um, ultimately, we need the people to hold the elected people accountable for this. And, and yeah. what makes me think of that is uh, when I wrote a story uh, this just this past week here about the um, the state advisory panel that's um, determining how the vaccine, the COVID vaccine is being distributed um, and how that panel is meeting in private, um, not not holding its meetings in public, um, avoiding the state's open meetings law. Um, when I posted a link to that on, on Twitter, one of the first replies I got was someone saying, with everything going on, you think this is important? This is worth writing about? You know, questioning, <laughs> why would I dare to raise that question? So, <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't even respond because I couldn't figure out how to, to, to do so and convey how I felt without <laughs> being a, a colossal jerk about it. Um, I, you know, I, I, but what I, I guess I kind of wanted to say was I, I, I can't make you care that mm-hmm. government needs to be open and transparent, but, but you really need to care that government needs to be open and transparent for a lot of reasons. Um, and so that again circles back to my the original point I wanted to add here, which is that uh, you know ultimately um, that doesn't change unless yeah. the people of Iowa, the constituents, these people who vote for the people who vote for these people in office, uh, care enough about it to, to make it an issue. Well, and we you know we hear all the time about the, the tribalism you know of politics. The people basically have you know dug trenches and, you know, stayed inside right. and, and basically, you know, believe that their side can't do wrong. So, right. and, and, right. and, and the, and, you know, and the candidates and the, and the politicians are kind of talking to their own tribes and, and right. don't really care what the other side thinks. And then, so that's all figured into it is that they don't feel yeah. like they have to be accountable to anybody, but they're, you know, the so-called base. Right. So and that, and that's a great point. Cause that was the other, if I had said something, that would have been part of the point I would have made is, you know, look, I, I'm guessing you're raising this point because you like what the governor is doing or, or you support the governor. Someday it's going to be um, someone you don't trust and, and you're going to wish you had uh, pushed for more um, open government when they don't do it either. Yeah. yeah, You know, we talk about the tribalism and we tend to think of it in, in terms of Republicans and Democrats, but they're, they're sort of a couple other tribes um, at play here, and that's the insiders versus the outsiders. And, and mm-hmm. one thing you notice, um, and, and I think your example, Aaron, speaks to this, is sometimes the people who um, I think they're on the insiders team don't realize that they're not, that the insiders um, mm-hmm. is a much smaller group than the people, the number of people who agree with them at that moment. And, and so while you may like what Governor Reynolds is doing right now, um, you know, that can change very quickly. And, and the fact that you agree with her doesn't make you an insider. There, there are other uh, sort of dues to membership in the insiders club, you know, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's uh, campaign donations or other forms of support. And a lot of times people don't realize that uh, even though they're on the winning team, so to speak, they're not really part of the insiders. And, and so we have this, 
you know, I mean, there's always going to be insiders and outsiders, and there's always going to be that sort of tribal tension between them. But um, a lot of people think they're winning when, um, you know, they're, nobody really even cares about them. Uh, and, and I guess maybe that's uh, where, where we come in, is trying to, uh, uh, you know, sort of shed some light on that and, and who's, who's winning and, and who's not um, winning when these decisions are being made on something that, you know, like, uh, the, the panel deciding who gets the the, the vaccination and, and when they get it uh, or if they get it, um, you know. So yeah. I don't think that'll go away overnight. But, um, you know, sort of following on some of the discussion we've had uh, about the tone of the conversations over the over the past year or the past four years and how that's um, worsened, I thought this uh, New Year's wish from T.S. Eliot was fitting and uh, hopeful he said, for the last year's words belong to last year's language, and next year's words await another voice. Um, and I think certainly for a lot of Americans, um, the majority of voters, I guess, um, they're waiting for that uh, voice. Well, that's it. That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or I or Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcast, send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. You can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Porch Builder will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics, wherever you find your podcast. And a parting thought here from Alistair Crowley, who I have no idea who he is. But he said, may the new year bring you courage to break your resolutions early. My plan is to swear off every kind of virtue so that I triumph even when I fail. For Brett, Amy, Tom, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. And best wishes for a better 2021.